Welcome to another Anesthesia Compass podcast. Last time, Ernest Nshom was telling us about the start of his journey from the village of his birth in Cameroon to work in the 300-bed mission hospital in northwestern Cameroon. If you want to see the hospital, it has its own website, so do have a look. The name is Mbingo Baptist Hospital. I'll spell that for you, Mbingo. Mike, Bravo, India, November, Golf, Oscar. As if life wasn't complicated enough for Ernest, at the same time as it was becoming clear to him and to others that he was called to be a doctor, he fell in love. Tell us about it, Ernest. Yes, romance and marriage. It was sometime in October 2005 while I was worshipping in church. I spotted this lovely lady and my heart missed a bit. I was not one who was used to being knocked off my feet by ladies, but this one had come close to that and there was something very special about her. I had not seen her before, but she had this stark resemblance to my mother. She also looked like one of my colleagues at the job site. The difference, however, was that she was much younger and succulent owing to her youthfulness. By this time, mobile phones had become more widely used, and even I could boast of the ownership of one. Later, I sent a text message to my friend, Samuel, telling him what was happening to me. Samuel was taken aback because according to him, this was the first time he had noticed a lady move me that much. I mounted a little investigation and learned that the lady in question was called Ethel, or Eti, as I came to fondly call her. My investigation also revealed that she was one of several recruits to the Cameron Baptist Convention Health Board the organization for which I worked. They had come to Bingo Baptist Hospital on a short study. During the days that followed, I tried to have us bump into each other several times. And on one of such moments, I greeted and sought to know who she was, even though I already knew and was glad she talked with me for that brief moment. It was also an occasion to advise her on taking her studies seriously and to work hard, which she appreciated. The few weeks that followed saw our friendship grow. When their course ended, she was posted to work in a health center far removed from my hospital. We had enormous communication difficulties because there was no mobile phone network where she went to work. We resorted to hand mails for communication. And often it was difficult finding someone traveling in that direction. When we needed to talk on the phone, she had to travel several hours to some mountainous areas to access network. If I wanted to visit, I needed at least three days of duty because the roads were so bad and only one transport vehicle ran that road. 
in all, we were determined to not let distance kill our relationship. Our relationship was growing at a time when I was looking for admission to medical school. There was some uncertainty in our minds, especially if I had to depart from medical school and be away for six years. We also understood that getting married was a huge responsibility. What we did was to pray to God to direct it all. When I missed the application to the medical school in Ghana for the year 2006, we were sad, but we also said to ourselves that it was an opportunity for our love to be deepened. It was not long before Sister Lois wrote to me suggesting that perhaps God was allowing the year ahead, which was my 29th year of life, to find a wife. She knew nothing about Eti at the time. We had not been sure of how she was going to treat the news of someone getting ready to go to medical school, yet nursing a love relationship. Her mail energized me and I wrote to her saying this, quote, dear mom, thank you for mentioning something in the mail of yesterday about, dare I say, in quote, find a wife that has given me courage to write this paragraph. Despite my busy schedule, I am surprised that I have found myself for the first time really overtaken by love. This has been for seven and a half months now. I have tried to battle myself out of this and realize that it is true love and I am not able to suppress it. You can bear me witness, right? End of quote. Yes, she could easily bear me witness because as a newly wedded herself, she was best placed to understand. As it turned out, God had indeed allowed that year for me to get married before proceeding to medical school. We are grateful to God and also to Sister Lois for listening to the Lord's prompting and revealing it to us at the right time. About five years earlier, I had started praying to God to prepare a wife for me. And in the month of May 2006, I was more than convinced that God had answered. I made plans to make a marriage proposal to Eti. On the 19th of May was the day. But how was I going to go about it? First, I sent her a carefully worded letter containing my proposal. I knew it would take several days <clears throat> before she received the letter. That same day, she was scheduled to visit her mom, and that was going to afford us an opportunity to talk on the phone. That offered me a golden opportunity to again propose on the phone. As is customary in our part of the world, the answer to a marriage proposal is hardly an instant yes. Often it is, give me some time to think about it, or let us pray about it. 
In my case, I had been praying for several years, so I was certain. Nonetheless, I gave her time to reflect on the proposal. When I next visited her, I again presented my proposal personally and was overjoyed to receive yes for an answer. With this agreement reached between us, we then planned how we were going to navigate the road to marriage. We presented each other to our respective families and they readily accepted us. We had been concerned that some family members could reject our marriage on the grounds of tribal differences. So we had taken time to pray about that aspect specifically. We had even dedicated a day and fasted about our plans. Thankfully, no such objection was raised. In the company of my friend Yengong Samuel, a very trusted friend and witness, and also Etty's friend Glory, Etty and I finally got married on the 5th of April, 2007. We have been a happy couple. We have continued to thank God for bringing us together. Now about the medical school search. This I consider part of the story, the great miracle of my life. The obstacles were several and so were the bypasses that God provided. Back in the year 2002, I had written to the director of health services of the Cameroon Baptist Convention, protesting about my being rejected from taking the pharmacy assistant examination. As part of my protest, I had attached my secondary school certificates to buttress my point. In response, the director had referred to me as, quote, brilliant student and had gone further to advise that I look for admission to a medical school. He even provided addresses of three medical schools, one in Madagascar, another in Benin, and another in Ivory Coast. He has stated that the health board could assist if I found admission or if I got admission to the schools but that they will not be able to sponsor everything. Some telephone numbers had also been provided, but I had never called any of them because in those days, making a phone call to a foreign country was a very expensive venture. And a telephone was not even easy to come by at the time. Perhaps in this age, one could have used the internet to access the school's website and make contacts, but that was a huge luxury back then. The option was shelved until sometime in 2005. It was one afternoon, unlike any other, I was going to receive a life-changing message. We had just finished from the theater and Sister Lois called me down to her house and this is what she had to say. I have this vision and dream that you should go to medical school. 
she went further to explain that she has seen great potential in me that remained largely underutilized. This afforded me the opportunity to painfully recount my life story and the obstacles I had faced that had nearly buried my dreams of becoming a doctor. She was very hopeful that we could salvage something out of the murky past. She was a missionary nearing retirement. Though she could not guarantee that there were funds sitting somewhere to sponsor me in medical school, she recounted that as a missionary, God had provided for her nearly three decades and could certainly do the same for me. That was very encouraging. Over the years, since starting the anesthesia training, Sister Lois had demonstrated immeasurable motherly tenderness towards me and her kindness had won a deep-seated place in my heart. I had lost my biological mother to death and a vacancy had been created. I was more than willing to accord her the place of a mother in my heart. I requested to do so and she gladly accepted, saying it would be an honor. It was very emotional for me. Her retirement came quickly and her marriage to Daddy Moray Don also happened without delay. It was so lovely to see their wedding pictures and how happy she looked. It was also joy for me as her husband readily joined hands with her in support of my desire to go to medical school. I was coming up to 29 years of age and I had passed the age limit to enter medical school in Cameroon. So we had to look elsewhere. Our immediate options were Nigeria, where one Cameroonian was studying medicine. Our initial exchanges were quite hopeful. Then all of a sudden, all doors seemed to close. This is part of the email I received in December, 2005 from the Nigerian, from the Cameroonian studying medicine in Nigeria. Quote, the medical and dental council in Nigeria has changed the mode of admission into colleges of medicine around the nation. Henceforth, candidates seeking admission into medical schools must be holders of a good Bachelor of Science degree in a relevant field before applying for medical studies. This takes effect from 2006, end of quote. I have never understood this information because the admission conditions didn't change at all. Advanced level holders are still accepted directly to medical schools in Nigeria today. Nigeria then was my greatest focus and I was disappointed that it came crashing. I then reoriented and expanded the search that Moray decided in faith that if I had to go to medical school, I would need a computer and they sent me a laptop. 
which was kindly carried by a visiting surgeon from Adelaide, Australia. More than that, the teenage son of this surgeon taught me the best use of it. This surgeon was called Dr. Chu. Also, internet services had just been installed in my hospital and I was able to go online and make inquiries. I took time and searched the internet for medical schools around Africa and even beyond. I corresponded by email with several dozens of medical schools. The responses were varied, but sometimes they were outright discouraging. For instance, quote, we are sorry we do not accept applicants from outside South Africa into medical school, read one of the responses. Several schools were kind enough to send application packages, but in most instances, the tuition costs were exorbitant and no medical school was willing to offer scholarships to a foreign student. And how did Ghana come into the picture? We had known Ghana for its political stability and religious tolerance, but most importantly for, his, for its highly rated and respected educational system in Sub-Saharan Africa. I had the opportunity to be taught organic chemistry in high school by a Ghanaian. The first suggestion to attempt admission to Ghana was from a friend who at the time was studying medicine in Liberia. <clears throat> she promised to get back with some addresses, but later got too busy and never got back. While I waited, Sister Lois sought for advice from a well-known doctor in England who advises the United Nations and worked internationally. And again, that doctor suggested Ghana. And that was Dr. Mike Dobson. He also gave us the email address of a doctor in Accra, Dr. Boni, Frank Boni, with whom we made initial contact. His first email was in May 2006. He sounded very nice and friendly person. And indeed he was when I finally met him much later. As a lecturer in one of the medical schools in Ghana, he has some words of caution for us in the first email. Quote, I must however warn you that the course in Ghana is very competitive and also quite expensive for overseas candidates, end of quote. I knew that the very competitive part of the question was my responsibility to handle, while Mother Lois had the challenge to handle the quite expensive part of the question. It was getting late for the admissions of that year. And I was two months away from graduating as a nurse anesthetist. Dr. Bonnie suggested 
coming to Ghana for the application and so that I could attend an eventual interview. At first, I thought this was not practical, traveling all the way to Ghana just to file an application. And after discussing with Sister Lois, we decided it was necessary, despite the cost involved. The erratic nature of postal services in our part of the world causes delays and often failures to deliver. And online applications were not available at the time. So it became necessary to travel to Ghana. The decision to travel was sealed. The time, depending on the university's announcements of their application dates, I was on high alert watching their websites. Before then, Mother Lois had such a master plan and has suggested and facilitated the acquisition of a travel document, the passport, for me two months earlier. I was now armed with a travel document and ready to go. In January 2007, applications were opened at the University of Ghana Medical School in Accra and also Kwame Nkrumah University of Science and Technology in Kumasi, Ghana. By this time, I had completed anesthesia training and started work. I was quickly granted leave from my employer and in two days I was ready to travel. In the early hours of Monday, the 22nd of January, 2007, I was at the Douala International Airport waiting to fly. I had been told that because Ghana did not have an embassy in Cameroon, I could obtain a visa at the airport in Ghana on arrival. On checking in, the airline authorities told me I would not be allowed to travel because I did not have an entry visa to Ghana and that I did not have proof of why I was going to Ghana. The lady attending to me was very mean. She was an embodiment of an unfriendly attitude. Things were turning really ugly. And at 7 a.m., the airline took off without me. I had been made to miss the flight. I was devastated. After about 30 minutes of bewilderment, I said to myself that God was still in charge. I gathered the pieces and started seeking a way out. First, I rang my doctor friend, Dr. Bonnie in Accra and explained to him the difficulties that had befallen, fallen me. Upon his advice, I emailed the medical school in Accra and sent a, a copy to him in which I wrote, introducing myself, explaining the difficulties I had faced at the airport and making an appeal for them to send a letter of introduction with which I could use to fly to Accra. Indeed, there was a kind lady at the other end who responded promptly. 
though not promptly enough for me to travel that same day in the evening. The first faxed invitation that came through was smushed with a lot of ink and barely readable. I wrote back and she faxed it again and this time it came more legible. Having missed the evening flight, the very next flight was going to be in three days and I was booked to travel that day. But only after I had paid a hefty penalty to reschedule the flight, despite that they had caused me to miss it. And that is the price you pay for living in a corrupt society. Finally, on the 25th of January, 2007, I was airbound for the first time in my life. And the destination was Kotoka International Airport, Accra, Ghana. It was not surprising to me that at the airport, the immigration officials did not even request to see the so-called invitation letter that had foiled my travel three days earlier. They simply granted my visa on arrival and that was it. My doctor friend, Dr. Boni, such a nice person, as busy as he was, had offered to pick me up from the airport. He had been so nice in his emails and finally the time had come to see him. It was really a delight to meet him in person. In fact, he was willing to accommodate me in his house for my entire 12 day stay in Ghana. However, Sister Lois had arranged accommodation for me at a guest house in Accra. It was quite a hassle locating the guest house, but Dr. Boni diligently looked for it, getting direction on phone from the manager of the guest house until we finally located it. It had been several anxiety-filled days devoid of comfortable sleep, but I was full of thanks to God that I had finally arrived Ghana. And Dr. Bonnie during the weekends passed by to check how I was doing. And subsequently he arranged my travel to Kumasi. Kumasi, 100, 300 kilometers from Accra. It was a smooth ride in a government car that was transporting an expatriate anesthesiologist who was visiting from America. And as if that was not enough, he had even arranged for his colleague lecturer in the medical school in Kumasi to receive me and offer me the necessary assistance to enable me file my application. Indeed, exactly what he did, including taking me to meet the dean of the medical school in person. He also arranged accommodation for one night for me in Kumasi. It all went well, like a well-rehearsed script, and I couldn't but see the handwork of God facilitating all these moves. What these two gentlemen demonstrated to me was nothing short of biblical hospitality. After depositing the other application at the Accra Medical School, I breathed a sigh of relief. 
and I had a few more days before my flight back to Cameroon. Quickly, I returned to Cameroon and resumed work, but with lots of stories to tell. I knew it was going to be a long and obviously anxious wait as admission decisions were not going to be made until June or July. As the time drew nearer to June, my heartbeat quickened. And when the admission lists were finally put up online early July, I did not see my name on the list. I was distressed and wondered how God could take me that far and then abandon me. I offered a prayer reminding God that the work remained incomplete. The following day, I called the doctor in Kumasi, who sounded very positive, assuring me that the admission process was still ongoing and that the lists that had been published were lists of Ghanaian applicants and that I was definitely going to get a place because I was a good applicant. Finally, on the 18th of July, I received an email from the dean Professor Siri, the Dean of the Medical School in Kumasi, informing me that I had been granted admission to study medicine at the Kwame Nkrumah University of Science and Technology, Kumasi, Ghana. As I would learn later, I was one of 7,000 students admitted that year out of over 17,000 qualified applicants. To that university. I was overwhelmed with joy and kneeled in prayer of thanks as the odds were really low. The starting date was only four weeks away and so travel arrangements needed to be made quickly. Scanning of the application and acceptance letters were emailed to me and because Ghana had no embassy in Cameroon, a missionary friend who was visiting America at the time offered to apply for visas for us from the Ghanaian embassy in the United States. Sister Lois had also sent some money, which he was going to get a teller's check for my tuition. The plan also included Eti, my wife, accompanying me to Ghana. Her passport had been processed and was also ready for a visa application. I was very thankful to Sister Lois for the great thoughtfulness and understanding she demonstrated towards the new couple that Eti and I were. We were also delighted that at short notice, our application for study leave was granted by the Cameroon Baptist Convention Health Board. We spent the first week of August 2007 saying goodbyes to our family members and completing our travel arrangements. And on the 9th of August, we arrived Ghana on board Slok Air after brief stops in Malabo, Equatorial Guinea, and Kotono in Benin. Eti was quite scared but being my second time, I was there to reassure her. And above all, our Heavenly Father was there for both of us.
we were detained for about one hour by some bribe-seeking officials at the airport immigration office in Accra. And what was our crime? According to them, we had acquired entry visas from the embassy in the United States, whereas we had not traveled to the United States. We did not think that that was a crime because there was no Ghanaian embassy in Cameroon. And their laws gave us the liberty in such circumstance to apply in any of their embassies. Therefore, we stood our grounds and never gave them a dime. I explained the situation to a senior immigration official who subsequently freed us, but without but not without educating the overzealous junior officials that we were right. Our journey to Kumasi was filled with anxiety as we were not sure of accommodation. We were, however, comforted on arrival at the bus terminal to be received by the head pastor of one of the local churches we had made contacts with. He drove us to his office where we were offered food and drinks. Later, we were driven to a shared apartment, which was to serve as a temporary accommodation for us. We were very well received and cared for, and our integration into the local church was smooth and seamless. Shortly after, Eti and I were privileged to join a special class organized by the senior pastor of our local church, and the aim of which was to nurture potential leaders in the church. At the end of that class, I joined the ushering ministry in that church, a service that I maintain until our departure from Ghana. Eti, equally joined the choir briefly, but due to difficulties with the local dialect, it was a bit frustrating for her and she couldn't continue. We have witnessed a lot of spiritual strengthening of our lives while serving God in this church, Grace Baptist Church, Kumasi. Generalists, adjusting to life in a foreign country was was fraught with a lot of difficulties. We had challenges with the checks we had traveled with. Perhaps the banks were wary of foreign checks. Maybe they had been victim of false checks in the past. We had difficulties with accommodation in which the expectation was that you pay at least two years rents upfront. And this was a marked departure from the practice back in Cameroon where rents were paid one month at a time. We had challenges with accommodation, even as a foreign student, I was being compelled to pay the school hostel accommodation, despite that I explained I was a married man and responsible enough to stay off campus. There were difficulties with the language. Even though the official language being English, English was not that widely spoken in the streets. Many people spoke their local dialect. 
the biggest initial challenge, however, had to do with accepting the check for my fees. And time was running out and the check had to be accepted in order for me to be registered as a student. And thanks to the intervention of one elderly accountant, the check was finally accepted, albeit provisionally, just in time for me to register. In school, there were difficulties with, you know, teaching methods and styles, as well as grasping even the accent. There were difficulties adjusting to a new set of schoolmates, most of whom were 11 years younger than me. There were difficulties with getting residence permit for Eti because she was not in school at the time. I was told one could not be granted in my name because I was also a student. So that is another problem we were likely to face with Eti and the children when they eventually came. Now, Eti finally had an opportunity to go to the university. It was in January, 2008, four months, four to five months after we had been in Ghana. And Eti had been home all along. She was getting bored as the days went by. And each time I was out in school, spending more than half of the day she was getting bored. And since we were both aware of what a heavy burden it was for Mother Lois raising all the huge funds for my school, we never talked about our burning desire for it to go to school. Instead, we kept praying that the Lord was going to create an opportunity. Then came the good news. On one of our regular Skype conversations, Sister Lois suggested that it would be a nice idea to have Eti study. We leaped for joy. In the days that followed, we made inquiries and realized that there was a university college of management studies that was just a couple of miles from our house and they were receiving fresh applications. We quickly put together the file and submitted. And as their admission was on a rolling basis, a few days later, we received notification that AT had been accepted to read Bachelor of Science in Accounting, a four-year program. Our hearts were filled with joy. And in February 2008, AT started her university study. Just some months back, had somebody told her she was going to have that opportunity she surely would have had doubts. It is worth mentioning that after completing high school in year 2003, Eti had not entered higher education because of financial difficulties. Surely in God's time, he makes all things possible. Having secured admission, the school offered Eti, a letter of introduction with which she applied and was granted a residence permit only upon payment of a penalty because she had overstayed her previous entry visa. In June, two, 20, uh, excuse me, in June 2010, I graduated with a Bachelor of Science degree in Human Biology 
and received a letter of commendation for scoring distinction in three courses. As at 2012, I was in the middle of fifth year medical school, a very challenging and intellectually stimulating course it was, which I had enjoyed every bit of it because that is what I had longed all along to do. And Etty was awaiting her final results, hoping to graduate with a Bachelor of Science in Accounting. We are now proud parents of three kids. Excuse me. We are now, as of 2012, parents of an agile eight-month-old daughter, Verna, and we named her after Lois and after my late mother. So her name's Verna after Lois and mom after my late mother. Lois, who now occupies the high seat of mother in our hearts. And we stand in awe at what our benefactors have done for us. We have experienced profound love for God and from man. Our lives can be summed up simply as a modern day miracle. We promise to use the knowledge and skills we have and are being equipped with for the glory of God and humanity. Ernest, thank you so much for sharing that with us. Uh, it's been uh, uh, a huge effort for you to uh, talk without interruption for all that time, and we're most grateful for you. Um, when you've got your breath back, I know in, we're making this recording uh, late at night in Kenya, uh, but before you go to bed, I just have one more thing to ask you, if you could tell us briefly, because the account you've just given us finishes some years ago when you finished writing it, and since then, quite a lot more things have happened. Can you just briefly bring us up to date? and tell us what you're doing now and how you got there. Yes. Uh, in September 2013, I graduated from medical school in Ghana, grabbing the prize for the best student in surgery. And promptly we returned to Cameroon, precisely in Bingo Baptist Hospital, the hospital I had worked as a nursing assistant and also as a nurse anesthetist. In the course of the four years that followed our return to Mbingo, I completed a one year of internship and three years in the internal medicine department. However, my thirst for anesthesia was not quenched during that period. Rather, it gave birth to another desire, critical care medicine. In 2017, I got accepted to pursue a four-year program leading to the Master of Medicine in Anesthesiology and Critical Care at the Moy University, Eldoret in Kenya. So I promptly took off for Kenya to fulfill this long-held dream of becoming an anesthesiologist. And there has been some delays in the training resulting from a lecturer strike for better pay, and now the corona pandemic. However, my determination remains unshaken. 
my wife and uh, three kids now, we have been blessed with three kids, subsequently joined me uh, in Kenya in 2018. And we have been in Kenya from 2018. Like I mentioned, we are blessed with three kids now. Vena, who was born in Ghana, is now nine years. Uh, Alice is six years. And the, the third and last, Erin, is three years of age. Um, while in Kenya, my wife has also been blessed with the opportunity to pursue a master's degree uh, in project management and uh, planning. So in all, I maintain a strong desire to return to Cameroon upon completing my specialization training sometime in 2022 and be able to contribute to the health of my people back home while assisting in the training of uh, nurse anesthetists back home. Thank you very much indeed, Ernest. Thank you. It's such an inspiring and moving story you've been telling us. I'm sure people are very grateful for the privilege of having heard it and having heard of how so many difficulties uh, arose but were overcome. So uh, thank you very much and uh, we'll maybe hear from you some other time. But uh, for now, for now, I'll say thank goodbye. You. Thank you. My pleasure. Bye. Our grateful thanks go to Ernest for taking the time to tell his story to us on this podcast. I'd already read it, but hearing him speak it is just amazingly powerful. And I want to thank him again, and also to take this opportunity to thank not just his own family, who helped him so much during his school years, but also the two people whose kindness and vision made his medical training possible. Lois Murray from New Zealand, and Frank Bonney from Ghana. They're both listeners to this podcast, and they already know how grateful Ernest and Etty are, but I want to add my own thanks to, as well to both of you. And now to Ernest and Etty, to Lois and Frank, and to all of you, it's goodbye from me. Until next time. Goodbye. <laughs>